We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to fellowship this morning. The weather, the cold, the snow is keeping some folks away, but we're glad that you're here. If you're out in the hallway, come on in. And if you're joining us on the live stream, we just started. Thank you for doing that. Glad that you're doing participating with us in that way. Although somewhat limited in fellowship opportunities, it's hopefully good for some edification. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to those who are here and those who are watching online. We welcome you this morning. I'll invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 1 this morning. I titled my lesson this morning, The Unattractive History of the Purest Gift. What I mean by that, and as we'll look this morning into God's Word, is that God used people who I said have royally messed up to accomplish his divine will of delivering the purest of gifts to mankind. I want to read for you this morning from Matthew chapter 1, which is uh, the genealogy here. We also find uh, the genealogy of, of uh, Christ also in Luke chapter 3, one, from, one line from Joseph, the other from Mary. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. And Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheatil, and Sheatil begot Zerubbabel. Verse 13, Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azar. Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. 
So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. And then we'll turn over to Luke and just read that small portion there in Luke chapter 3 as well, where we find uh, more of the genealogy here as well. Luke chapter 3. Beginning in verse 23, it says this, Luke 3, verse 23, Now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janah, the son of Joseph, the son of Mathathiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maat, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Semieh, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Jonas, the son of Ressa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kazam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, Ur, the son of Jose, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Metat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Menon, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, verse 32, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, and the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mehalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, there's a lot of names there, and I, I uh, cannot guarantee that I pronounced all of those correctly. But you may wonder, what do we find in all of these names? You know, it's a, what we might call a seemingly an endless genealogy of names. But there are significant people in this historical lineage, both from Mary's lineage and, and Joseph's as well. And our purpose this morning is to actually not highlight what we might think are some of the renowned people of history from which a king would come, but actually to realize and recognize that spotted throughout these lineages, there are those who are of the most wicked sort and who messed up royally in their lives. But as you imagine the scene unfolding in a Bethlehem stable, the purest newborn cries from a baby, Mary swaddling the child and holding him close in her arms, Joseph tending to the needs of his wife and the small child, lowly shepherds coming and worshiping the child and praising God, it all seems so perfect and divine. But the journey that lies behind the fulfillment of the prophetic words of Isaiah and Micah, 
is not filled with the purest of life decisions or people. In fact, the line from which the promised seed came included many people who acted wickedly at times. Some of these men and women acted very deceitfully and sinfully. I wonder if you have ever done any kind of investigation into your ancestry. Perhaps you've gone on uh, those websites and you know, paid some premium and you can look into your family heritage. And it can be a very interesting thing to do. I haven't done much of that myself at all. But it's interesting to find out who you are related to and where those people came from, migrated from, and that kind of lineage and uh, searching can be interesting. Of course, with this investigation, you can find out things that you perhaps are not so proud about as well in that history of, of your family. Dig deep enough and you'll find perhaps some bad apples that fall from the family tree. But of course, it's history and there's nothing that you can do to change it. You cannot rewrite history and, and so we leave it as it is. And really, we just hope to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord and leave a legacy that our children can be proud of and our future ancestors can find great pride in. I thought about this as I was preparing my lesson. If I were tasked with choosing who was to be part of the line of the Messiah, the King of David, the Son of God, I think I would choose men and women of the utmost godly character who would be considered worthy of being part of God's messianic redemptive plan. Yet a survey of the genealogies of of Jesus in Matthew 1 and Luke 3 reveal that God, who is the author of this lineage, the lineage of the seed of David, chose in his sovereign plan to include people with untasteful and unattractive life stories to be used by God to accomplish his divine means of bringing redemption and providing the purest of gifts to mankind. And among the genealogies we find in Matthew and Luke, we find characters like Jacob, Judah, Rahab, David, Ahaz, and Adam. And as we explore their lives, we find that their character was not always upright. And so this morning in our time, I want to look at these six figures, these six characters, and the unattractive life decisions that we find from the lineage of Jesus in these people. We'll begin by considering first the person Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac in the brother of Esau. He was a patriarch of the nation of Israel, yet he was also a deceiver and a liar. Jacob willingly followed and took part in a deceitful plan contrived by his mother, Rebekah. Jacob went to great lengths to deceive his father, Isaac, into thinking that he was his brother by even putting on his brother's clothes so that he smelled like his brother Esau, a man of the field, a hunter. He even put animal skins with fur on them on his hands and his neck 
to imitate the hairiness of his brother in order to receive and steal the blessing that was intended for Esau. Then, if it were not enough that he deceived his father in appearance, he outright lied to his father twice, once stating that he was Esau, Jacob's firstborn, and a second time when Jacob asked him if indeed he was Esau, Jacob responded, yes. So we find in the lineage of Jesus a deceiver and a liar. But what about the man Judah? What about his life in connection to Christ? Judah was the son of Jacob. Judah received a blessing upon his descendants by his father Jacob, being promised the praise of his brothers and all nations, and that from him a powerful king would be raised up. We see this in Genesis 49, 9-12. Yet Judah committed fornication with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. In a sad story, we find that Judah finds himself in a tempting situation that instead of fleeing that temptation, as he should have, he indulges himself in gratifying the flesh. And in Genesis 38, 12 to 26, we find this sad story that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, was a widow of two of Judah's sons. And rightfully, according to the law, uh, Judah should have given his next-born son to Tamar to be married, to be able to raise up an offspring. But for whatever reason, Judah delayed in doing this, leaving Tamar in a helpless and quite unfair situation without a husband and someone to raise up an offspring from. We see also in the story that Judah's wife dies, leaving him a widower. And at some point, Judah goes to a city called Timnah, where his sheep shearers were. Tamar finds out about uh, his plans of travel and decides to take action because her father-in-law has neglected her right to be married to his son and produce an offspring. And so Tamar goes to Timnah, the city there, and dresses as a harlot to, in order to raise up an offspring through her father-in-law, Judah. The story goes, when Judah enters into the city, he sees her dressed like a harlot and perceives her to be one. And one might ask this question, why was Judah walking down a road where the harlots would have stood to entice men? What was he doing there? He was there to work, to see how his sheep shearers were uh, functioning, how the job was getting done. Yet he, he's walking down the roads where temptation lies. Of course, Judah is allured by her attractive appearance and dress and goes in with her and conceives a child with her, committing fornication. Ironically, when Judah finds out that Tamar is pregnant, he is quite upset with her for committing harlotry and acting in such a manner. But we find out that when he finds out that he's the father of this child, he, he does this. He calls Tamar more righteous than he. And so in the line of the purest of gifts, Jesus Christ, we find 
not only a deceiver and a liar, but also a fornicator. What about the woman named Rahab? Rahab was a citizen of Jericho, a wicked city in the land of Canaan. And we know very little about her life story. All that we really know is from mostly from the book of Joshua and the interactions that she has with the two spies who enter the city. But we do know this about her, that she is described as being one who was a harlot. Harlotry was the immoral act of fornicating with a person as an occupation, really, a means of living and uh, making a, a, a living to feed yourself. And Leviticus 19.29 forbids harlotry by the law of Moses. And any profit from harlotry was considered an abomination to the Lord. Deuteronomy 23.17 and 18 tells us this. Any woman caught having had sexual intimacy with a man outside of marriage was to be stoned to death because she is considered to have committed harlotry in her father's house. Deuteronomy 22, 20, and 21 tell us this. And of course, Proverbs chapter 5 and 6 warns of the perils of the seductive woman who is playing the harlot and tempting men to give in to her seductive ways. Rahab was the adulterous, seductive woman of Proverbs 5 and 6. She was the immoral whose seductive, immoral woman whose seductive words dripped like honey from her lips, like Proverbs 5, 3 tells us, smoother than oil. She was the woman who allured men with her beauty, like Proverbs 6, 25 says. Rahab led many, down, many men down the path of death, as Proverbs 5, 5 tells us, death and destruction. And she entrapped men through her seductress ways and embraced men in her arms to satisfy their evil desires, like Proverbs 5, 19 and 20 says. She reduced men to a mere crust of bread, like Proverbs 6, 25 says, will happen. This was Rahab's life at one point. Realize that the adulterous woman personified in Proverbs 5 and 6 represents real women like Rahab. And at one point in Rahab's life, this is who she was. So we see in the line of Jesus, the most unattractive of circumstances, a deceiver, a liar, a fornicator, a harlot. And then we come to the man who we know well, King David. What about him? Well, we know that David acted very righteously at times in his life and as the king of Israel. He had a very worthy desire to build the temple of God. When he saw all the great wealth that he had, the houses that he had, he had a great desire to build a home and a house for God. He also was very concerned about leading the people of God in worship in that temple. But at the same time, David was a man of bloodshed. We know, First Chronicles 28.3, and he was an adulterer. 
according to 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5. David, despite being given great wealth, all the power he could have, all the fame and honor, and a promise from God that the kingdom and its throne would belong to his descendants forever, despite all of this, he still royally messed up. He took Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and conceived a child with her. And when Nathan addresses David's sin, showing him that God had given him all that his heart could desire, yet he was ungrateful for the things that were his. David also took many wives against God's command, and he also took a census of Israel and Judah against God's command as well. And so we see in the line of Christ even a king who acted wickedly and adulterous and disobedient to the Lord's commands. Of course, up until now, most of these people we see had a turn of events in their life. They had a time of repentance in their life. And we all trust, we trust that all of these were actually followers of the one true living God, despite their mess-ups in their life. But then we get to one who is a bit of a conundrum. We see kind of a happy ending for the rest of those in our list, but what about the man Ahaz? How do we explain his part in God's divine plan? Ahaz was a king in Judah. He was a very, very, very wicked man. He made molded images for the Baals. He practiced child sacrifice, even his own children. He made sacrifices on altars to false gods. Second Chronicles 28, 1-4 tells us this. He even took treasures from the house of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. He forsook the Lord and looked to, for help in worthless idols. And he shut the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars in every corner of Jerusalem. The word of God says that he provoked the anger of the Lord greatly. How do we explain his part in God's redemptive plan? And what about the last in our list this morning? What about the very first man that ever walked the earth? Adam. He lived in a perfect environment. He walked with God. What greater influence than to have God walking beside you? The perfect example. He was given every good thing that he needed. He was given a beautiful garden to live in, a beautiful wife to have at his side. Had he been confirmed in his holiness, Adam could have enjoyed perfect fellowship with God in a perfect world. Yet Adam chose to disobey God's command and willfully took and ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It could be said that in this list of atrocities that we've looked at this morning, these wicked acts, sinful behaviors, that Adam's sin was the worst 
of them all. He had more than Solomon and David had combined in wealth and riches. He had dominion over the kingdom, the animal kingdom, the world, a wife, a perfect fellowship with his creator. Yet Adam royally messed up things because his desire to be like God, his pride, and his evil desires. And so, like I said at the beginning, at first thought, these were, would not be the kinds of people I would choose to be a part of the Messiah's lineage. Why these ones? What do they teach us? Why not use the perfect kind of people out there? Well, we have a number of lessons from these life stories in the lineage of Jesus. Number one, God's sovereign plan cannot be thwarted by the evil intentions and acts of men. God's ways are stable and sure regardless of how bad mankind is. Think about your own life. You may think that you have messed up big time. And if you haven't yet, perhaps you will. And if you have, be assured of this. God's plan for you in his story will still be accomplished. You cannot thwart his divine will. If God can clean up a person like Rahab, forgive the sin of David, make Jacob the father of his people, then God can forgive and use you for whatever purpose he has. Lesson number two, God does not use perfect people. Why, you might ask? Because there is no perfect person except the man, Jesus Christ. He uses sinful people to accomplish his purposes because there are no other kind of persons out there. If you are afraid to do anything for God because you are waiting to be perfectly sanctified before you can act on his behalf, let me warn you, you'll be waiting your entire life. Be about serving God now. Be about holiness and godliness like Mary and Joseph were, like Zechariah and Elizabeth were. Be about those kind of behaviors, and even despite your failures, he will accomplish his plan. Lesson number three for us this morning is this. God's gift of salvation, his purest gift, can bring new birth to any kind of person. The salvation that God offers is for the adulterer, the harlot, the liar, the deceiver, the proud, the wicked, the immoral. He came to save the sick and the lost. He came to save them, not those who are well. And so through the lineage of men and women who did terrible, sinful things, God saw fit to bring the purest gift to mankind 
his son. The sinless child brought forth from a lineage wrought with bad apples. Yet Christ was born so that those bad apples could be forgiven of their sins. Most certainly, Jacob, Judah, Rahab, David, and Adam all received that imputed righteousness of their sinful or their, their sinless descendant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And though the history of the provision of the purest gift is wrought with unattractive stories, through it God gave his Son, a man purest in nature, to deliver people of similar nature as those we spoke of this morning, people like you and me. And he continues to use the same kind of people to accomplish his will of redeeming people to himself. You may not carry the seed of David, In your lineage, but you carry the seed that is a life giving message that can bring new birth to any kind of person. Let's pray as we close this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, even in the purest of stories like the Christmas narrative, we see its journey wrought with people who who messed up who sinned, whom we would never think God could use or would use in his redemptive plan. But in your sovereign will, you chose to use them. And because of that, Lord, even they themselves were redeemed through their lineage, through the descendant of their lineage. Lord, we thank you for that kind of story which teaches us of how you accomplish your sovereign will, how you use even the lowliest of people, Lord, how you use men and women like us to continue to carry on that life-giving message that came from the mouth of the purest one, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. May we ponder on these thoughts this morning, giving thanks, humbling ourselves, being grateful for redeeming ones like us. In Jesus' name, amen.